Well, amen. Aren't you glad you're in church today? Aren't you glad you're in church today? Come on. You could be, you could be at home watching it online. <laughs> Hi, online folks. Glad you're joining us too. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're doing a series through the book of Luke. Started last week. And we're going to continue this series actually through the month of May which sounds like a long time, but it's really not. To cover an entire gospel like the book of Luke, it will, uh, I'll have to skip some stuff. So I'm, I'm really preaching on the unique aspects of the book of Luke, thanks to my friend David Malik, who's uh, giving me wisdom on what to do. So, give me just a second. You look one, giving you plenty of time. <laughs> on January 4th, 1933, a young boy was born into a, a rural community called Alturas, Florida, uh, to a, a mom and a dad who were really uh, farmers. Uh, they'd already had a couple of children, and he was born two to three months premature which in 1933 um, was not a very hopeful sign. Uh, he was born at home to a midwife. The doctor came by later in the day and gave the parents very little hope on the child's survival. Uh, there was no NICU at home or there was no hospital even close by. The parents put the baby boy in a shoebox and warmed him by heating bricks in a wood stove and then putting the bricks around the box to try and keep it warm in order to keep the child alive. Uh, and other times they would put the box by a wood fire to try and keep him warm. The mom was so um, harmed by the childbirth process that she couldn't nurse the baby. So the dad had to chew up food, soft food, chew it up and feed the baby by, by hand. It's a miracle that the child survived, and um, later on, my grandmother would say about my father that he uh, had a destiny in the Lord. She believed he had a destiny in him. Um, she said he never cried until after he reached full term, uh, and it's just a miracle in that setting that, that he did survive. Now, obviously, I'm glad he did. Uh, because without him, there'd be no me. Uh, and without me, there'd probably be no us. And God has his hand on every single step of your life. You don't even know it. You don't know how he's working, but, but he's working. God is preparing things for you in the future that you don't even know about yet. But we need to be in a constant state of preparation. I preached a sermon on this before. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but the world's, the world's model is predict the future and then plan to meet your prediction. The problem with that is if your prediction is off, then your plan is off because there's no reason to plan. Instead, God is saying to you, prepare, get ready, and when I move, participate. Get ready to go with, with me. 
be in a constant state of preparation. One of my sons is, you know, the crazy one. He's actually, um, he's actually right now, today, in Nicaragua, uh, surfing. I, I wish I had his life, honestly. I don't know how he does it, but he's in Nicaragua surfing, and uh, he called me, uh, texted me yesterday saying, oh, what did he say? He caught some big ones. It was dope. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that means it was a good day. But a surfer does not create the waves. A surfer gets ready, prepares, takes the board out. When the wave comes, they jump. They're ready to go. God has a plan for your life. God, God is preparing you for the future. God is preparing you for the now. Are we ready to move with him? In the book of Luke, it starts off with this incredible story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest who was married to the daughter of a priest. They were a godly couple. They were a couple who were like the model couple in Israel. The one problem they had, really, is that they had no children. And in that day and age, children were seen as a sign of blessing from the Lord. And if you didn't have children, then you must have done something to not receive the blessing of the Lord. There's this corresponding aspect of God's provision, especially children. And one of the reasons the nation of Israel wanted people like Zechariah, a priest, to have children is because they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the deliverer. They were looking for the one who would come. Zechariah and Elizabeth, according to this passage in chapter 1, were well advanced in years. Now, well advanced in years doesn't tell us exactly how old they were, but they were at least, according to kind of biblical scholars who understand these terms, they were at least 60 years of age. They were AARP card-carrying members. <laughs> Zechariah is a priest, and he goes into the temple. He goes into the Holy of Holies. His name is drawn for an incredibly special day. That incredibly special day is where he gets to go and pour incense on the altar so that the prayers of God's people will go up before God. Now, if you remember, the, the censer, the golden censer, was right outside, we think, of the Holy of Holies. There's the veil of the temple, which seals the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go in and the, on the Day of Atonement. But Zechariah's special services, he gets to go upstairs to where the room is and goes to the censer, puts the... Uh, coal and the incense on the censer. Some priests were there with him and then they left and he's to stand there and offer up the prayers of the people. It, it is incredibly a, a special day for, for a priest to have this honor. And so Zechariah, he's ready. He's got his day. He goes in. He's offering incense before the Lord, the prayers of the people. And the next thing, there's an angel with him. Now, it's easy to tell because it was just Zechariah and then somebody else shows up, right? <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be there. And so he is, of course, everybody. I love the fact that whenever an angel appears, their first words are, fear not, don't be afraid, something like that. Why? Because 
you're, you're afraid. You're scared. You're scared because there's an angel there. The angel says to him in Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. That Hence his name, John the Baptist. That's a joke. You get that later. Uh, <clears throat> just wanted to see if you all are listening. Uh, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's not a Baptist. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Hey, I can say these things because I'm Baptist, born and raised. You can't talk, I'm talking about my people. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring back, will, will bring back to the Lord their God. Goes on and says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make a people prepared for the Lord. He is the one that's going to come before. He is the preparer for the coming of the Messiah. He's got a big job description here. He, he doesn't know. Uh, it, it, it's just incredible what John is going to do, who he is. And how he's going to prepare the way before the Lord. Now, you remember the story. I know most of you are, have been born and raised in church, many of you. But if you haven't, the story is incredible. Because Zechariah, 60 plus years old, with a wife who's 60 plus, says to him, Really? I am an old guy. Have you got the right Zechariah, I think he's saying. Have you got the right dude? I, I know I'm here and you're here. But are, you, are we sure about this? And the angel Gabriel says to him, I'm so sure that you're not going to talk again until the baby's born. I'm going to give you a sign that you're asking for, and here's the sign. You're going to be mute until the day the baby's born. It's an incredible... And by the way, some people, they want... This is a side point. They say, well, how come Zachariah got this when Mary said... What she said. And I think the angel knew the difference between the tone. You know, Mary's was like, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And evidently, there's something in the tone of Zechariah that was like more, not questioning how, but like questioning, period. And so, Zechariah does. He can't speak again. Now, in between this annunciation to Zechariah, we have the Annunciation to Mary, which we looked at last week. We have Mary then going down to see Elizabeth. And remember, at this point, Elizabeth is pregnant. And when Mary comes in, Elizabeth's, the, the baby in her womb leaps for joy. Elizabeth gives birth to John, to the baby. And the family says to Elizabeth, what's the name? His name is going to be John. They're basically saying, hey, there's no family member named John. And so they ask Zechariah, what is the name going to be? And he writes down the name John. 
immediately he can speak again. It says this is a test. Well, first of all, let me just say this. It's a testimony to everybody because this 60-year-old couple just had a baby, right? I mean, much less the name of the baby. It says, the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I mean, from the start, his birth is just so remarkable that people recognized this old couple who've never had a child suddenly have a child. The naming, the whole story, everybody's talking about it. It is on the internets of Israel at this moment. People know what's going on. Here's what I want to say to us this morning, and I'm going to leap into these points and and move through them. This is all about preparation, and I want our hearts to be prepared. I think preparation is underrated in many circles, and God wants your heart prepared for what he's going to do in your life. So here, here are my points, and by the way, these points are all just scriptures taken straight from Zechariah's response. Zechariah, the people are filled with all their the wonder what this child is going to be. Zechariah has a song, one of the songs of Luke. We looked at the Magnificat, Mary's song last week. This song is called the Benedictus um, that Zechariah sings. And I'm, I'm real partial to songs in the Bible because of my music background, but um, I, I, I love this song. And I think it speaks of the preparation of what God wants us to to look at. So here's the first point. It's this. Prepare for the provision of salvation. Now that may sound kind of strange to say it in those terms, but that's really what the song begins with. It's kind of like, get ready, here comes Jesus. Here comes the Messiah. And I think it has an implication for us uh, as well. Here's the beginning of the song. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. We need to to see God's provision of salvation And for many of us, that provision of salvation, we limit it to the idea that, oh, I get to go to heaven rather than hell. Which, by the way, I think is good news. I'd rather go to heaven than hell, wouldn't you? Hello? Sorry, you aren't so sure. You still here? I'd rather go to heaven than hell, amen? But it encompasses so much more than just our eternal destiny. It encompasses our eternal destiny, which begins even now. Salvation that we walk into by the gift of God is for now and the future. It's for now and then. It's for all time. And look at what he's saying. He says, just going through these points, he says, he, he has come and redeemed his people. That means he's bought them back. Bought them back from what? He's bought us back from the effects of sin and death. 
He's purchased us back according to Romans 3. This is one of the pictures in Romans of what Jesus does. He redeems. Now, I'm old, um, but uh, do you remember when you used to, anybody remember S&H trading stamps? Anybody that old? And some of the youngers are like, no, 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 no. So it's like, um, I, I heard this illustration. They were stamps you would collect from the grocery store. They'd stay in and my mom would collect them. You'd stick them in a book and then you collect a million books and you could go trade them for a pencil or something. You know, it's, that's what it seemed like. Those of you know S&H trading stamps, you remember those days. You had to collect a hundred books to get anything decent. It's like getting a gift card to Starbucks. You've got this card, but you've got to go redeem it. You've got to go get it back. Jesus has made the purchase price. He's purchased us back from the kingdom of darkness, from the effects of sin. He has redeemed us. That is part of our salvation. He is also, he, it says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. By the way, this is not like, what kind of horn? This is the horn that's seen as an as a instrument of battle. He, he is a victor. He is the one who has won the battle. Christ is, he's a, He's a winner, right? Christ is a winner man kind of thing. Do you know why you're more than an overcomer? I am more than an overcomer? Because Jesus is the overcomer. He's the one who's overcome. And now you're more than a conqueror because he conquered. He raised up that horn of salvation. By the way, this is really good stuff. You should get excited about this. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies. Please listen to me carefully, just for one second. <clears throat> the nation of Israel, they were, they were really focused on their enemy, right? <clears throat> the problem was they had marked out the wrong enemy. They were seeing the nation of Rome as their enemy, Right? I mean, they were an occupied people, so the nation of Rome is here. They're occupying us. They're suppressing us. Hey, we're going to get a Messiah who's going to give us victory over our enemy. He's going to raise up a horn of salvation. He's going to redeem his people. We're going to go. We're going to be. I'm going to make Israel great again. And the problem was they had misidentified the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Sin and death is the enemy. Jesus came for victory from our enemy. You are, you are more than a conqueror because of him. You have victory over an enemy. You are not defeated. You are not less than. You are part of the family of faith. Here's my point on prepare for the provision of salvation. We need to, we need to buck up and understand we are in a war. We are in a battle. There's a battle that's warring around us. Listen, you're either a part of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. There are only two kingdoms. There's no like neutral kingdom. You are not Switzerland in the spiritual realm. You're part of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You come to Jesus, you're in the kingdom of light. Salvation has been provided, which means you're at war with the kingdom of darkness. Now, it's nothing to be afraid of. Because the kingdom of light is, we win. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. God has given you the armor of God. God I mean, look through the New Testament at the battle analogy. And it's not, 
Salvation is not just about battles and victory. It's not the only part, but it is a part that we can walk in that John is going to proclaim. John is going to call for forgiveness. He's going to call, but he's saying to the people, get ready. Victory is coming. The Messiah is here. And the people, they missed him because they're thinking they misidentified the enemy. Now, I, I'm not really a soldier. I don't know anything about soldiering. But I would think identifying the right enemy is really important. I mean, it seemed like an obvious thing to me. You want to know who your enemy is, right? Listen, even we in the church, here's, let me push just a little bit. Your neighbor is not your enemy. The Democrats are not your enemy. The Republicans are not your enemy. I could go on and on with this. Sometimes we in the church misidentify our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is our enemy. The kingdom of darkness is our enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers. Understand our enemy and understand the provision of salvation that God has given you to fight the enemy. He goes on and says to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. There's so much provision in the grace of salvation. There is victory. There's forgiveness. There's, there's, there's life. Understand what God came to give us. See, here's, here's one point about Christmas. Some people teach Christmas like God came to earth to, you know, experience what it was to be a man and to see how we were doing. Look, Jesus already knew how we were doing. <laughs> right? He didn't come to just kind of, hey, how y'all doing? Uh, it's good to be here. I just want to see walk around. You know, just kind of experience life, see what it's like. No. He came to save and he came to reveal. He came to save you and me. He came to reveal who God is, to reveal truth. As he says to Pilate, this is why I've come. I've come to testify to the truth. Prepare for the provision of salvation. The second point is this, and that was a good one. Uh, prepare for the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy. Here's what he says. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from your enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Remember, we're looking at the song of Zechariah in case you got lost there just for a second. This is his second part of his song. I kind of picked up a later part, but look what he says. He says, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. One of the reasons Jesus came and the song and John the Baptist is singing of the coming of Jesus is to say through the, the prophets foretold this. This is the fulfillment of that. What they said. His prophetic, not only is John going to be a prophet, but he is the fulfillment of prophecy. John was prophesied the coming of Elijah, the forerunner to Jesus. And Jesus, who it's speaking of here, is the fulfillment of prophecy. I know you've heard these stats before, but it, 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 it's impossible for one person to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
I've seen different odds at different times, and how can one... Jesus fulfilled every single one. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. It goes on to say, to show mercy to our fathers. So not only is he the fulfillment of that prophecy, but he's showing mercy to those who came before. By the way, this is a big theological discussion, but in Romans, Paul also says that Christ died to pay the penalty not only for our sins and future sins, for sins past as well. His death, his atonement, showed mercy to our fathers, to those who came before. It's part of the prophetic fulfillment that Christ's payment on the cross was for sins past, present, and future for those who are followers of Jesus, followers of, followers of God, and to fulfill his holy covenant. So, just kind of quickly, put it like this. The prophetic fulfillment, the fulfillment of mercy. Because remember, in the temple, they'd been putting blood, remember the sacrifice, on the mercy seat, the atonement, to pay for the sins of the people for that particular year, right? Are y'all still with me? So like when Zechariah goes in and he offers the incense... The Holy of Holies, the priests would go in where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there was a top, two angels, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Y'all saw it, right? <laughs> Nazi moves the lid, his face burns off, that one. Well, that lid, that lid, they would offer blood on the sacrificial right there on the mercy seat, and it was to pay the price for the sins of the people for the year. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was only to put it off. It was only to put off the payment. The payment wasn't that lamb's blood. The, the payment was the blood of the lamb. He paid for all that um, put off debt for the people. That's how he showed mercy to, to the fathers. And to fulfill a covenant he made with Abraham thousands of years before. I, there's 10 sermons here. I am trying to go through them, and I'm trying not to bog down because the theology is so rich that when Abraham looked up at the stars and God said, so will your descendants be? He wasn't just talking about the nation of Israel. He was talking about me and you. We are descendants of that covenant with Abraham that follows through to Jesus, which comes to us, the fulfillment. My dad, when he got older, he was given a prophetic word about being a missionary. And he really wanted to go into missions. I, I've told this story. It's been a long time since I've told this story. But he and my mom applied to go into missions. Um, this is with uh, Southern Baptist Mission Board way back when, when I was um, three or four years old. Now... I had uh, a physical condition when I was three or four years old uh, where I would have something similar to epileptic seizures um, that would cause, they were just seizures. It's the only way to, to put them. And so my dad applied to the mission field, and they, next thing, I, I didn't know anything. I'm four or five years old. I don't know anything about the mission field thing. All I know is I'm in the hospital getting tested for 
why I'm having these seizures. I do remember it was a horrific experience. Um, I know I had a spinal tap, which for like a four or five-year-old is just miserable. It's miserable for anyone, but anyway. And I didn't know anything about my dad wanting to do missions. I'm 13 years old. I'm cleaning out my dad's file. He's, he, he's got a file cabinet. We're about to move. And he says, go clean up my files. I'm cleaning out the files. <laughs> now, he didn't give my brother or my sister the job of cleaning out the file. Because I'm the only one who can read in my family. So, uh, <laughs> but he gave, they gave it to me to go and clean out the files. I, I, the nerdiness of my uh, childhood just comes back and haunts me at times. But I found a letter in there where the mission board had rejected him because of the health of his middle son, which is me. And I had no idea because they, they couldn't send someone overseas. It, it makes sense. And the doctors had said to them, your son will not ever get better. He'll get worse. When he hits puberty, it'll probably grow much, much worse, and he'll probably have these seizures for the rest of his life. Now, miraculously... My shoes, my, when I hit puberty, they stopped. Uh, I went off medications. I've never had a seizure since I was um, 11 or 12 years old. Um, it, it was the hand of God. But because of my dad's continual heart for missions, he, he went into the pastorate and became an awesome, a great pastor. But he always had a heart for missions. He was always looking to find out ways he could do missions in different places because he had this word. And for years, he just thought, well, it's never going to be fulfilled. I'm in the pastorate. I'm raising a family. And then there came a day where he could. When he moved to Coral Springs, Florida, to pastor, which is where uh, the Chinloy family and the Kuhn family, that's where I met them. Uh, I think it was 1980, somewhere around there, he went. He started doing missions on a greater extent. There was a guy in the church who was a pilot for Mission Aviation Fellowship. His name is Dave Richardson. And because he flew for Mission Aviation Fellowship, my dad was really attracted to him. He mentored him. He, he spoke into his life. He really impacted Dave. Uh, my dad also started going to other countries and to do missions like Albania where we still have work. We went to Ghana Starting in, I think, 2001 or 2000, we started going to Ghana and went there for about 10 years. On one of those mission trips where my dad took me, he also took my sister-in-law. My brother is a pastor as well, as many of you know. He took his wife and her daughter, Sarah Ann. Now, Sarah Ann was probably in middle school to high school. And we went to the ministry where we ministered to street kids. And there, Beth, my sister-in-law met two little boys by the name of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb at the time, I think, were about six and eight, maybe five and seven. They, they had been taken off the streets where they were living, and they were living in this home, and my sister-in-law, Beth, fell in love with them, and Sarah Ann did too. It took them a couple of years, but they adopted those two boys from Africa. And it's all because of the impact of I believe the fulfillment of a prophetic word in my father's life. Now, the fulfillment of it came much later than, and not in any way that he saw. And here's what I want to say to you. 
Prepare for the fulfillment of God's word in your life. Get ready. It may not happen in your time. As a matter of fact, I can pretty well promise you that's the one thing I can, it's not going to happen in your timing. God's timing is always different than ours. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Seed cast around. Good soil, bad soil, hard soil, rocky soil. What is the soil? Jesus says this when he's interpreting the parable. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good, what? Heart. I believe you are constantly receiving the word of God, either through his word, through the proclamation of the word, through prophetic words. God is speaking. Here's the challenge. Get your heart ready for the word of God because that seed is being implanted in your heart. Is it going to, I understand this is about salvation, but I think it's so much more. I think it's about the word of God being implanted in your heart and it's It's got the opportunity to spring to life and to bear much fruit or to be choked out. To be robbed of you from the enemy. Remember the battle part earlier? Lots of ways. But prepare for the fulfillment of prophecy. Wow. Here we go. Third point is this. Prepare to walk in purpose. Prepare to walk in purpose. We're back to John again. To restore us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before all our days. What is your purpose? I think it's the same purpose John had. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, we're going to serve him. You are a holy and righteous instrument of God in the hands of God. You're set apart for a special, for a special purpose. And then it says this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. All the verses up till now were about Jesus. This is the first, these are the only two verses that are actually about John. All the others are about Jesus. This is about John. Again, I know we may be here a while longer. Just hang on. It's good, though, I hope, um, that it's blessing you. But parents, this is a good word. Too many of us are child-centered when we should be God-centered. If you will be God-centered as a parent in your home, then your children will become what God has for them to become. At least you have a better odds. But here's the thing I can promise you as a parent of five. If you become centered on them and tell them they're the best, they're the greatest, they're this, they're that, they're you know, God's gift to the world kind of thing, then your odds of raising a child who looks to God for the source of who they are, their identity, will be lessened. Why? Because you you will have fed them the world's view, which is their identity is found in themselves. I think what John is saying here, excuse me, what Zechariah is singing through the power of the Spirit, did that get a little too personal? As a parent, I hope not, because I I love you parents. I love helping. But we live in a a me-driven culture, and it is swept down into our parenting uh, that we have child-centered homes. 
I'm not going to say it. I'm going to move on. We'll talk about this another time. He says to them, he says, and you, my son, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. What a great calling to be a prophetic preparer for the way of the Lord. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Prepare to walk in purpose. God has a purpose and a destiny for every single one of your lives. I believe my dad's purpose in life was to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there, there's, in this room, there's not just me. There, there are the Coons and the Chinloys and others that were ministered to through God's work and purpose being done in my dad's life. Back when we first started, really before we started Fullness, we met as a home group. Uh, do you remember, we, we were, I was on staff at Vesavia Hills Baptist, Chris and Wendy, me and Kathy, and we had some other couples that were kind of searching for God in that time period at the church we were in. So we started a small group. We would just pray and worship and have, you know, I, I did the best I could to teach the Bible at the time. And um, there's a couple that came to that church by the name of, uh, it wasn't a church, it was just a small group, by the name of Joe and Anna Prestridge. And Joe... Uh, was on staff at Caraway Hospital. He introduced me to Zine, to Doc Bagley. Uh, that's how I got to know. Sorry, forgive me. I'm just wandering in memory lane here. There's a point to this. Joe and Anna, right when we started Fullness, moved down to Florida. He was going to be an administrator at a hospital then. But God was working on his life. And Joe left the hospital and went on staff at Calvary Chapel in Panama City. And he was the associate, he's the associate pastor. Joe called me last week. Really, it was this week. I, he texted me last week. I talked to him this week. He said he was preaching at a church 30 miles away from his home in North Florida. And he's preaching and he's talking about how God used what we did in that small group to lead him in to what it means to walk in the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That his Baptist background made it where he just didn't. So he was just preaching about his journey. He was telling about his testimony. He never used my name. He just, I mean, that's not important. I don't need my name mentioned. But he was, he was talking about how God used that small group to really guide him. So this older man comes up after church and starts talking to him. And Joe just goes on. He said, I don't even know why. I just opened up to this older guy. And just started telling him about what God had done in that small group. And he's, the older guy, after Joe finishes, the older guy goes, you know, I had a guy in my church who did that to me as well. He was a pastor of, uh, of our church. He just spoke into my life, taught me what it means to walk in the spirit. And then he goes on and says, yeah, Jimmy Brookins did this. And Joe goes, Brookins? The guy I'm talking about is Bart Brookins. Do you know him? And Dave Richardson, the guy I talked about earlier who my dad had a heart for with Mission Aviation Fellowship, talked about how, God, how dad's ministry had changed. It's these streams of purpose coming together. You don't even know what God's doing through you when you do what God wants to do through you. You don't even know it. How God is at work. Prepare to walk in your purpose. You've got a purpose. You've got a destiny in the Lord. See it fulfilled by hearing from him, having your heart prepared, and moving forward. Last point. 
is this. Prepare to receive and give blessings. Now, many of us, we want to just receive. I want to be, yes, give me, give me, give me. But God wants to bless you so that you can bless others. He wants to be a, prepare. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God for which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of the path of peace. He, he, he wants to, he wants, he, the sun is coming down to us from heaven. Sun and sun. Is coming down to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death. And that's not just about us. He's, he's shining so that we can shine. To help reflect the glory of God to the world around us. We're, re we're recipients of this incredible blessing of salvation. The prophetic fulfillment of the covenant of God. And the mercy of God. And, and the reason you have a purpose is because not only God created you. But he redeemed you for it. You have a, that purpose in him. It's a blessing. Now be, now let the blessing flow through, flow through you. Because... He wants to guide our feet on the path of peace. My, um, my niece, Sarah Ann, the one I was talking about earlier, she married a guy named Chase. She's now almost 30. She married a guy named Chase Jackson. Chase's brother is named Luke Jackson. Luke is a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, uh, who had a good year, by the way. Atlanta did. In case you didn't know, they won the World Series. I know not everybody in here is baseball fans, but Luke was a relief pitcher. So they got to go to a, a lot of games, a lot of baseball, baseball games. So Luke and Chase went to Houston. Hello? Y'all still with me? This is a good story. Just hang in there just for a second. Luke and Chase, uh, uh, Chase and Sarah Ann went to Houston and saw the final game where the, the Braves beat the Astros to win the World Series. Her brother, Joshua, the one from Ghana, now he, he's a graduate of Texas A&M. He is now an accountant in Houston. So he picked Chase and Sarah Ann up from the airport. And they said, why don't you go to, the, go to the game with us? And he said, okay, I'll go see the World Series game. So he loves baseball. And so he goes to the game. They win the World Series. They go to the after party where they're celebrating. And I got this picture yesterday from my niece. This is a picture of her with Joshua. Now you may be saying, well, what is the big deal? Here's the big deal. The big deal is this boy who is a street child from Ghana is holding the World Series trophy because God not because of the World Series trophy, but because God had a purpose in his life that could not be denied. God used people like my brother and sister-in-law and Sarah Ann and others who, who, who spoke into his life for the fulfillment of his destiny. They overcame unbelievable odds. My, his brother Caleb just got out of the U.S. Army after serving four years. I, I mean, it's an incredible story of the grace of God being fulfilled, and God has the same purpose for your life. Who would have dreamt that a premature baby born in a rural community in 1933 
would, because of the fulfillment of God in his life, things would just, the ripples just keep going out. My dad passed away three years ago. He would never have foreseen even this. What God did through his life to see the fulfillment of God's purposes accomplished, God wants to do the same thing with you. Prepare. Prepare so that when God moves, you can participate. Be ready. God is blessing you in the good and the bad. He, remember the old song? We're going to sing it here in just a second. He gives and he takes away. What should our position be? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the cry of Job. It's the cry of our hearts this morning to say, no matter what, praise be to God. Blessed be his name. The story, the story of the Savior is woven into, if you follow him, the fabric of your life. If you'll just constantly be, be ready. Let's just receive this morning the truth that God's glory is being revealed. We don't even know how it's, how it's going to play out, but just be ready. Stand up. Let's sing this song together. Thank you. 
Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed. 